This is the Press Pass with Chris Ryan. This is where you hear unique conversations with the best athletes, coaches, and general managers in sports. I think you appreciate each and every one. Uh, each and every one is special in their own way. And I play with two guys that uh, they were on top of their game on a nightly basis, and people get spoiled. You know, they they saw Manny, they saw David, so they they start taking people for granted. Uh, opportunity for me. And I know I need to help my team now, so you know, the better I play, the better it'll be for us. I think it's uh, one of the most important things is focus and consistency. The Celtics lose game six of the NBA Finals and drop their series four games to discuss that in depth to hear from the players. Also check in on the Red Sox, or home taking on the Cardinals. This is the Press Pass. I am Chris Ryan. So if you polled Celtics fans, say, heading into the fourth quarter of game four of the NBA Finals last Friday night, almost all of them would have said, and perhaps NBA fans, well, I remember going into this series the predictive analysis was that like 86% chance to, to 90% chance the Celtics could win this series. I said, not so fast. This Warriors team has a championship pedigree. They've been there before. They understand the mental side of winning these games. And the Celtics found themselves in the driver's seat, heading into the fourth quarter, up two games to one at home. It looked like this was their series to win, but they couldn't hit a shot down the stretch in the fourth quarter. They're down by three, but they kept settling four threes and they end up losing game four game five another disappointing fourth quarter where they turn the basketball over on a consistent basis game six they jump out to a 14-2 lead that lead quickly goes away and the Warriors in fact go on a 21 to nothing run with no answer from the Celtics Celtics lost this series because the Warriors were the better team when all is said and done but they also shot themselves in the foot over and over again. You know, Jason Tatum did not seem to want the basketball, not want to seem to take shots down the stretch in game six. Had only 13 points in that final contest to Steph Curry's 34. Marcus Smart was passing up shots down the stretch. They didn't seem to know what to do or want to make plays with the basketball in their hands down the stretch in games four, five, and six of the NBA Finals. And obviously we want to you know, harp on that to a large degree. It's fresh. It's real. We thought the Celtics could win a championship this year. But you also have to take a step back and realize that this is a process. And the Celtics took a big step forward this year. But it has to be a big step. It has to be built upon. And that's something Ime Udoka talked about post-game. You know, it's going to hurt, and it, it'll hurt for a while, and probably, you know, that stuff never goes away. I've lost one before, and so um, that was part of the message. Uh, let it propel us forward. Uh, the experience and growth and progress that we made this season, uh, obviously getting to your ultimate goal and, and falling a few games short, uh, is going to hurt, and there are a lot of guys in there yeah, very emotional right now. So the message was, you know, we thank them for the effort and the growth and everything they allowed us to do coaching wise this year um, and the biggest biggest message was learn from this uh, grow from it take this experience and see there is another level to get to with a team like Golden State who has been there done that and, and it was evident in a lot of ways and just uh, don't come back the same as players coaching staff and uh, let this feel you throughout the offseason the next year. The NBA Finals left you wanting you know more from Jason Tatum and Marcus Smart Tatum, as I mentioned, finished with 13 points in this game. Shot only 37% from the field in the NBA Finals. Turned the ball over a ton. You know, Smart and Tatum 
you want a little bit more out of them in this game. Conversely, you look at what you got from Jalen Brown and Al Horford. Al Horford was a monster for the Celtics in this postseason. He deserved a better fate. Jalen Brown had 34 points in game six. Here's Tatum followed by Smarts. I think just, uh, you know, our level of poise at, at times, you know, throughout this series and um, previous series, you know, myself included, we, uh, you know, taking care of the ball, things like that. Um, but it's easy to, you know, look back and see and say all the things you could have done better. Uh, you know, we tried. Uh, I know that for a fact. And to piggyback off he said, yeah, we tried. Um, obviously, you know, to look back and say what we could have done, um, it's tough. Um, you know, we all made mistakes that, um, that that obviously couldn't have been made, could have been prevented, but we're learning. It's part of it. And, um, you know, you take that in and go into next season and, and you try to build off of it, um, the things that we've done wrong and the things that we've done great. Marcus Smart right there. For the Warriors, a fourth NBA championship uh, and that all coming within the last decade. A remarkable accomplishment and one that puts them obviously you know, into rarefied air when it comes to uh, NBA franchises. What Klay Thompson and Steph Curry have been able to accomplish is pretty special. They've revolutionized the game from an offensive perspective. And Steph Curry, for the first time, getting the NBA Finals MVP, but to me, what they did on the defensive end was what allowed for them to have success in this series. They made things very difficult for the Celtics. Celtics constantly dribbling into double teams, looking you know discombobulated, not connected on the offensive end. The Warriors' defense was a big part of that. I talked to Clay Thompson about that. Clay, from a historical perspective, people probably remember this team as being, or this franchise, the Warriors being a great offensive team, revolutionizing the game. But do you feel that defense is the foundation of championship runs for this group? Yeah, I think it's a great mix of both, obviously. I mean, what gets overlooked is our versatility on that end. Uh, we have players who can guard every position. Um, and we have, obviously, great defensive schemes as well as coaching with Mike B and the rest of the staff. They got us watching a lot of film, knowing the players' tendencies, and then we just got guys who play with great heart. So mix all those together, you got a potent mix. Calvin Looney was a force for the Golden State Warriors in the series on the defensive end. You look just at game six, seven rebounds in 22 minutes. He had a big game four as well with 11 boards. And I talked with him about, again, the key in this series, in my view, would change the series was the Warriors' ability to defend down the stretch in games four and five, and also uh, really after that rough start throughout the game in the sixth game. Fourth quarter defense has been a huge key for you guys here in this series and also forcing turnovers. What, in your view, has kind of keyed that and allowed you to have success in the fourth quarter and uh, making them turn the ball over? When the game's on the line, we really try to lock in on our, on our, uh, our, our keys and our, uh, our game plan. You know, uh, you know, guys are flying around. Our speed has been uh, pretty good for us all year. You know, us being able to 
you know, scramble and get guys off the three-point line and uh, you know, try to make guys as uncomfortable as possible. And then we got guys that have just great on-ball defense. You know, Clay and Wiggs and Draymond are like some of the best guys who on, on the ball uh, on defense. So you know, we got guys like that in, in the fourth quarter, and they, they decide that they're not letting nobody score. We're pretty tough to score on. I think you surprised them at all with how good you guys are defensively. They talked a lot about the physicality of the Bucks and the Heat and how good those teams were defensively. And they mentioned more kind of kind of keep up with you guys in the offensive end and your ability to to move and uh, use speed and skill. Uh, definitely, I think uh, when you think about the Warriors and you think about Steph and Clay, you automatically just think about the offense. But uh, every year since I've been here, any time that we've been a championship contender team is because of our defense. We've been uh, good on both sides of the ball. I think this year our defense kind of carried us even more than the offense uh, did throughout the year. Uh, I think it's been shown throughout the playoffs. You know, we play physical, but uh, I think our speed is one of been one of the biggest things for us. And you know, uh, the guys don't think of us as a a physical team, but we got guys that you know, Draymond always sets the tone. I try to go out there and be physical. We physical, Clay is physical as for a shooting guard, and we just kind of go out there and try to you know play play with a lot of force as a, as a group, and uh, it's been working for us. So Jason Tatum obviously facing some incoming criticism for his play in the NBA Finals, but this was a breakout year for Tatum. He became a much better playmaker. He made first team All NBA, and in my view moved himself into the conversation as being one of the superstars in the game. I think he is one of the superstars in the game. Did he have a great NBA Finals? He did not. And very often, players are defined by how they perform, as they should, on the biggest stage. There'll be more opportunities for Jason Tatum, but you know he has to take the hard lessons here and get better as a result of them. Throughout the course of his time in Boston, he has done that. I expect he'll continue to do it. I talked with Tatum about his season. Hey, Jason. Uh, Jalen was talking about kind of his personal growth throughout the course of uh, the season and, and postseason. What ways do you think you've grown as you know a, a player, a person, a leader throughout the course of the season, postseason? Yeah, I mean, what ways? Um, I feel like I've grown a lot, you know, just as a all-around player. I think, obviously, my playmaking is, you know, um, grown and, and been better than in recent years and um, defensively and just, you know, uh, I feel like this is probably the best season I've had. Uh, I go from not making all NBA to being first team. So, you know, there was some growth there. Talked with Celtics guard Derek White about the self-inflicted wounds that this team uh, put on themselves in this series and also the play of Steph Curry. Do you feel like you guys find yourselves in this position based upon what they've done or what you guys have been unable to do? Um, I mean, credit to them. Um, they're up 3-2 for a reason. Um, I mean, there's obviously a lot of things that, that we think we should do better and um, understand that, I mean, it's a seven-game series and, and we're not done yet. How much has your respect for Steph Curry grown throughout the course of this series compared to maybe what it was before? I mean, I already had utmost respect, but um, I guess if you could say growing, it has. Um, um, obviously, one of the, the best players this game has ever seen, and um, he's done some special things in this series, but I'm um, just trying to enjoy the challenge. Derek White's right there. More on the Celtics losing Game 6 of the NBA Finals and dropping the series four games to two to the Golden State Warriors coming up next week. A little Post-analysis with Grant Williams and Derek White on next week's edition of the Press Pass. We switch gears to the Boston Red Sox. 
Red Sox have something really special going with the top three players in that lineup. Right now hitting second, third, and fourth. Rafi Devers, J.D. Martinez, and Xander Bogarts. They have three of the top five batting averages in baseball at this point in time. And it's not like they're hitting just a notch above 300. J.D. Martinez, 351. Xander Bogarts, 332. And Rafi Devers, 329 going into play on Friday night. So three guys in the same lineup hitting well above 300. For some reference, there is only 17 players in baseball right now hitting above 300. Their OPS, that's also uh, all in the top 12 in baseball as well on base percentage plus slugging. It is historic how good these three have been so far for the Red Sox this season. I talked with J.D. Martinez about that. Which the game, what you have is a, a trio with Rafi and, and Bogey. And what is your sense about how special that is and what you're doing so far this season statistically? A good core. You know, we got a good core guys. Um, I think that they're very two, two very special players. Um, you know, one that's up and becoming a superstar and one that already is. Um, and I think... You know, we're fortunate to have him in the lineup. This franchise has obviously had you know, Manny and Ortiz, but having three guys, three of which are in the top five average in baseball and three in the top ten in terms of OPS, how rare do you think that is when you look at the context of the game, and is there an appreciation as to what you got? It's very rare. Um, yeah, I mean, I just think, I feel like us three, I feel like we're a very similar process. Is very, I would say, like, professional you know I you know I can count on them every day to be ready for a game and you know we all get ready differently but take every at bat very seriously all three of us yeah I want to ask you about that in that you are three seemingly different hitters but it seems like your process is similar how unique is that as well in that Rafi is obviously kind of a freak you're very process oriented and Bogey's kind of a hybrid yeah um it's 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 rare you know, but like I said, I mean, it feels like those are two guys that they come in every day, they do their work. They're very just, it's very structured, and I think that has a lot to do with the success on top of the talent. The problem thing is, how do you push each other, and how do you think you make each other better and more effective? I don't know. I mean, I just think we all go out there and play our game, each one of us. You know, we're all different. Seems like Alex Verdugo is coming around a little bit for the Red Sox as well. I talked with the Red Sox outfielder inside the dugout at Fenway Park. Doogie, just kind of collectively throughout the course of the season, what have you what have you seen? What have been the things that have been challenging for you this year? And it seems like you're starting to get through it. Um, I think not letting results like dictate how I'm feeling every day. Um, you know, I've, I've ran through some uh, where I've had good at-bats, hit the ball hard, you know, it's right at people. And then I kind of dwell on it. And then uh, it kind of, you know, starts – spiraling into like a little slump or me trying to do more so I think this year just kind of been you know stick with where I'm at you know keep keep hitting the ball hard keep having good at bats you know seeing pitches and and that's uh that's the biggest thing I think you know when I get in my head or I'm trying to chase hits I swing early in the count I expand in the zone so uh for me it's just you know take it at bat by at bat pitch by pitch and this is the second year where you've had horrible luck, where you've been hitting the ball hard, but you haven't had results. And does that start to weigh on you from a mental perspective? You're referencing where you 
are then trying to change things up to break out of the the bad luck? Um, I mean, yeah, like like I said, you know, it, it's more of like a, a day-to-day thing. Some days, you know, I'm, I feel really good mentally. I feel like, you know, I'm, I'm convicted to my plan. I'm, I'm locked in on my swing, and, and I know what I want to do no matter if I hit a line out or not. The, the process stays the same. And then there's other days when, you know, first at bat, I want that hit. I crush one, you know, and somebody runs it down or it's right at somebody. And, you know, it's kind of like, ah, oh, here we go again, right? So um, it's just it's just really battling that. You know, I think for me it's just, you know, my eyes are there. I'm seeing the ball well. Um, I just got to make sure I keep getting my, my body in a good position to, to hit and fire my swing. Um, so really, yeah, it's just, you know, stay positive. The team's been great, you know, obviously – through all of this, you know, as long as we're winning, that's the biggest. That's the biggest um, aspect. Yeah, I want to ask you about you know the big three with this this group in Rafi, obviously Xander and and JD. It seems like year after year they continue to get better. What have you noticed from them as hitters? And it seems as different as personalities they may have. What do you think connects them as hitters? Um. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, that's a hard one to say. You know that. I think Rafi's a freak, you know, I think he's just someone, that, that guy just hits, he, he was born to hit, and, you know, he's just, uh, he's just naturally blessed, I mean, he's got great hand-eye, um, bats a ball, I mean, hand-eye, coordination, everything, so, he's just, uh, it's fun to watch, it's fun that he's a lefty, out of the three, he's the lefty, so, you know, I get to talk to him and, and, you know, see what's up, but, um, yeah, I, all three of them are, are special hitters, you know, people that, they understand what they need, what their body needs, you know, what they want at, at the plate and what they do damage on. And they do a great job of fouling off tough pitches, getting a mistake, and capitalizing. Final thing is you mentioned this group has played really solid baseball over the last month and a half. Um, what stood out to you about the way this team kind of confronted the difficulties early on this year that you know, maybe benefits you guys down the road? I think the biggest thing is, like, yeah, we weren't having success at first, but we we understood and knew like uh you know our offense is gonna hit we're gonna we're gonna click we're gonna start firing you know even now we got a couple guys that are that are really picking up the slack but um you know we got some guys that are that i feel like are just you know getting ready to kind of break out and 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 go on a tear so um i think we knew earlier in the season we weren't playing the ball that we were uh, accustomed to so it's just uh, stick with your approach, you know, keep grinding, everybody's working, and I think you're kind of seeing the fruit of the labor. For Trevor Story, it's been a Jekyll and Hyde season. He's amongst the leaders in RBI, but has struggled in regard to putting the ball in play on a consistent basis. And Thursday was one of the low points for Story at Fenway Park, again hearing the Boo Birds striking out four times during the course of the game and having difficult play on a ball hit to the outfield that he dropped and also unable to get the ball I get a clear grip on the ball to throw to first base in the game as well. Uh, Story is known as being kind of a streak hitter, but I want to know if this is kind of an abnormality for him in that he has been really streaky this year. Do you feel like this is a typical season for you in terms of ups and downs and streaks, or is it atypical the way you've been hitting? Um, Yeah, I'd say, you know, atypical, I think. A little more ups and downs than usual. and um, Yeah, so... um, I'm looking forward to, to being more consistent for sure. Our Trevor Story right there. Let's head to Cooperstown right now. And uh, a couple weeks ago, I went to 
the Hall of Fame Classic and spoke with a number of uh, baseball Hall of Famers, including Lee Smith, who was with the Red Sox from 1988 to 1990. One of the dominant closers ever. Great mound demeanor. I talked about what it takes to be a top-flight closer. What was your mentality like as a, a closer? Because to me, that's one of the most important things for a closer is to have that mentality. And what was yours like? Uh, stay on that even keel, man. When you're doing good, don't get too high. When you're struggling a little bit, don't beat yourself up. Have that short memory because, you know, the team is really depending on that, that closer role. You go in and the team get beat in the fifth inning like, man, we got a butt kick in the fifth. But you got that lead with two outs in the ninth and they take it back. That takes a big, big toll on the, on, the, on the team. How big of a factor do you think intimidation was you know, with you and even some of the other either more old-school closers like the Goose Gossages and such? And you know, think about Tom Hankey with the glasses and throwing to the backstop every now and then. Was, was intimidation a big part of what you did? It was as a little bit because I used to take my time. You know, to come to the mound and let the hitters think a little bit. Yeah. Now that he took that away from the pitcher, you can't hold, you know, and step off and things like that. Goose Gossie was like, okay, I'm just going to rail back and throw it through the brick wall, but the man could paint, you know. Yeah. But he had that persona that, man, Goose might bounce one off your forehead, right. but then he'd hit that outside corner. But, you know what, it was just, you know, just going out there on an everyday basis and the team wanting to get the ball to you. That really meant yeah. a lot to me. How do you deal with the you know the pressure of the big moments? As you mentioned, you try to keep an even keel. When you're coming in from the bullpen, are you feeling jacked up? Are you trying to suppress that? Are you trying to pitch angry? What are you trying to do when you're when you're actually pitching? For some crazy reason, I feel comfortable, man. Yeah. I, I'd much rather pitch with a one-run lead than a three-run lead because you you take pitch by pitch. In the three-run lead, you might get out there, man, I want to work on my breaking ball today, and then boom, the tide runs at second, you know. But for me, you just try to go out there and give your best and don't second-guess yourself. That's the toughest thing you can do. Did you focus at all on hitters? You know, you look at some of the, the guys here today, and, and you've only faced you know some of the mostly American League guys from your era here today, but you know, a Tim Raines or you know, a George Brett or whoever was the guy that you you faced on a continuous basis, you kind of looking at that. Do you, did you think about that? Did you pitch two guys, or did you say, here it is, hit it? There were some, certain guys in certain situations that I wasn't going to let beat you. You know, things of that nature, like, but not taking the thing away from guys, but the guy behind them, you know who hit you well and who don't. Yeah. But it's understanding the game. But I, I think it's the, you go out there, I'm going to go with my best. Yeah. My best is a fastball. And the guy was like, hey, he's a good fastball hitter. I'm like, he wouldn't be playing baseball if he couldn't hit the fastball. Right. But making good pitches consistently, that was the one thing. And I think the one thing that I learned from a great pitcher who's here today, Mr. Fergie Jenkins, yeah. is learning the bat speed and learning how to expand the strike zone. Yeah. Yeah, and obviously, you know, knowing the umpire as well, yeah, knowing what yeah. you're going to get, watch that game, the game, and make determinations to where you're going to yeah, throw definitely. it as a result uh, of that. Goose is, in his book told a story about how he wanted, you know, George Brett's number basically, but George Brett continually kind of kicked his ass. Yeah. <laughs> Was there a guy like that for you? Uh, that hit me pretty well. Yeah, this guy he wasn't a good player. I don't know. A what lot he of times did. That happens, he, right? he wore my ass out. You ever yeah. heard of a third baseman named Mike Schmidt? I heard him. Yeah, that yeah, guy. Yeah. That guy right there was tough on him. But you know what, man? We played each other so much. You know, you just think about there wasn't 30 teams back then. So right. we've seen each other so much. I, I think Mike was hitting out of turn, though. Yeah. I think I think he hit like six times a day at Wrigley. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but those guys, guys like that, you know, you tip the hat off to them. I mean, you listen to Mike Schmidt, he's like, man, Smitty was tough on me. But we faced each other a lot, but the respect was there. But, man, the only thing about Mike, he didn't get enough credit for his defense. Yeah. The man could flat out pick it. Yeah. Yeah. 
Is there, when you think back about, you know, facing guys on a continual basis, is that always advantage hitter, or do you think that you can find advantages too, as you mentioned, in expanding the strike zone, reading swings, or is it usually the hitter's advantage? Oh, God, yeah. The, the one thing, like I said earlier, Fergie Jenkins would always talk to me about not going out there thinking, I got to get this guy out, make a pitch, and let the guy get himself out, you know, and but having confidence in your, your ability. But the main thing as a pitcher and a closer in that situation is, I had a good fastball, but they couldn't just sit on my fastball right. because my secondary pitches, and that makes it a lot easier if it could possibly be, but it makes the hitters think a little more. Lee, thanks a lot. Hey, my pleasure, man. All right, that is Baseball Hall of Famer Lee Smith. Coming up on the show next week, Wade Boggs. We want to make sure you tune in for that, and we'll also check back in with the Celtics, Derek White and Grant Williams on what went wrong for the Celtics and where they go from here. Uh, after their loss to the Warriors in the NBA Finals. That's going to do it for the press pass today. Congrats to Bruce Cassidy, Bruins' former head coach, hired by the Golden Knights out in Vegas. This has been the press pass. I'm Chris Ryan.